Hello and welcome to the Morrissey Exchange podcast. The information contained within this podcast has been provided as general advice only and does not take into account any of your personal circumstances or objectives. You should consider if this advice is right for you and consult your financial advisor for further information. Hello and welcome to the sixth episode of the Morrissey Exchange. My name is Ben Morrissey. I am excited to have a discussion with Mr. Robert Bullers. Uh, Robert is the CEO of Coventry Group. Robert, thank you for joining us today and allowing the listeners to get an insight into your business, the opportunities ahead and how you operate. Thanks, Ben. It's a pleasure to uh, join you today. So just to kick things off, I was wondering if you'd be good enough to just explain a little bit about yourself, your history, and how you got to become the CEO of Coventry. Sure. So my background is accounting. I went through a number of financial accounting roles over many years and then ended up at a company called Bunzel and became the chief financial officer of the Australasian arm of that business. Uh, while we were there, we transformed that business from about 90 million of sales, not making money, to around 650 million, making very good profits. And that was the combination of just a, a sensible, organic growth uh, strategy on the back of a very good value proposition and good customer service, and quite a number of acquisitions as well of small up to larger businesses. We did 20 acquisitions during that time. So I was there for 15 years, left there looking for another challenge, found the Coventry Group, didn't quite expect the challenge that I got. So I was joined there four years ago, joined as the CFO, and then six months later went into the CEO role. So I've been in that role for three and a half years now. That's a pretty decent turnaround with Bunzel. What sort of business is Coventry, the one that you are now at the head of? and explain what the different divisions do and the sectors that they service. So Coventry Group is an industrial supply and services business. It has two quite distinct divisions. One is trade distribution and one is fluid systems. So I'll start with fluid systems. They have operations across Australia. It's a 12 branch network and they provide services and parts in the areas of hydraulics, lubrication, fire suppression, and things like that. We have a combination of sales of parts. We have workshops right across the country in those branches that perform very small repairs up to quite large project builds that we can design and engineer and build. And then we also do on-site work at mainly mining and resources customers, but a wide range with the acquisitions we've done of recent times. And again, that can be just small repair work up to very, very big jobs like a drag line shutdown, which could be a a million dollar job for us. So we think that business is market leader, uh, still has a very small market share in in the markets that we play in. On the trade distribution side, there's three businesses there. Two are the same. We've got our Connect and Artia business in Australia and its sister company over in New Zealand. That business supplies in the main 
fastening systems. And that's where our expertise is. We do supply a lot of other products around it. As an example, if you want to install a screw, you need a, a drill bit and you also need the, the power tool to do it. So we, we provide that sort of package, if you like. In Australia, we've got about 40 branches. In New Zealand, 14. The Australian business was the one that was in real trouble. We are still repairing that uh, today, but we, we believe we've got the right strategy and the right people to do that. The New Zealand one, again, is market leader over there, has been growing profitably for the entire time that I've been with the business. The other business is Nubco, which we bought nearly two years ago now. It's the market leader industrial supply business down in Tasmania. It has a different value proposition to connect in that it supplies steel product, fasteners and all the complementary products. So if you want to build something, you can buy the entire basket of goods that you need to do that. So again, they're market leader down there, very profitable business that we acquired and we're very happy that that's in the group. One of the um, one of the things that really gets me excited about Carpentry and the reason that uh, I've taken a, a, an investment for a lot of people there is because of the infrastructure and construction space and the extraordinary tailwinds that occur there. How are you leveraging, leveraging your opportunity to benefit as, as best as possible from what to me seems like a, a unique opportunity over the course of the next sort of 5, 10, 15 years when it's really clear, it's really obvious that the governments are supporting both state and federal as much spending in infrastructure and construction as possible to to generate as much value out of every dollar that's spent. How are you leveraging the company's capacity to take advantage of that? Yeah, so we picked infrastructure as a market that we needed to be in a couple of years ago. Since that time, particularly in the connect businesses and Nubco, we've been building capability from a people perspective, so business development capability, adding in additional products that those markets use and really just investing in that area to make sure that we're able to take advantage of what's coming. You're right, the government in Australia already announced $100 billion worth of infrastructure spend over 10 years pre-COVID Since then, there's been a lot more announcements and that market becomes more and more important to us. So wherever we potentially see a decline in commercial construction, we'll be able to offset that in the infrastructure market. The fluid systems businesses, the torque and HIS hose acquisitions we've done, they also work in that sector. So it's enabling us to build capability on the fluids system side as well to take advantage of what's coming in infrastructure. So we do see it as an opportunity to set the the business up with profitable growth, to your point, not just in a year, not five, but potentially 20 years and be able to hand Coventry Group to the next generation set up for success. Okay, so some of the, two of the interesting points that come out of those, those comments that you just made were where you are geographically. So for example, You've, you've made some acquisitions. You touched on Nubco, which is in Tasmania. Me include a lot of people who think, why would you bother with a, a Taswegian business? Is there any growth there? You bought them in February 2019. You bought Talk Industries in October 2018, and you've recently just completed that HIS hose acquisition. So you've, 
you've clearly shown a desire to be acquisitive and not just purely rely on organic growth, which is which is working as well. So first question is the revenue spread, how much of it comes from each sector as the company stands at this point in time? Yeah, so the, the fluid systems business is now turning over with the acquisition of HIS probably circa 110 million. Nubco down in Tassie is 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 40 odd million. Uh, New Zealand would be a little bit less than that, but not too much. And the rest is then in Connect Australia, which is you know 72, 73 million. We do have some disproportion, obviously, because of Nubco. Tassie's much bigger than some of the other states on a population basis, if you like. But I guess that gives you know, some indication of what the possible pie is when you look that we've got 40 million plus down in Tassie, that just sort of demonstrates what we could do across the rest of Australia and New Zealand. And, you know, that's without fluid services or fluid systems down in Tassie as well at the moment, although we're building capability for that as well. Yeah, look, we've got some mixtures. Fluid, they also... Uh, have a bigger business in Queensland and also in WA following where the mining is. And we need to get a, we're working on getting a wider spread geographically in that business as well. So where do you see the growth for, so let's let's pick out say New Zealand and Tassie, which you know, a lot of people will think of the population is just too small to, to achieve decent growth. What sort of growth is left in both of those areas? So New Zealand, there's, Definitely growth left. We will open additional stores over the next 12 months down there. We are also looking at acquisitions in that space and we can also expand the product ranges that we've got in, in, the, in the stores that we've got there as well. So there's a number of ways we can grow that business there. Tasmania, we've probably maxed out on the number of stores that we would like down there. So again, it's about growth in new markets like you know the infrastructure market. We've recently acquired a off-call vendor, which enables us to do a whole lot of work for uh, the concrete and formwork markets down there, and makes us very agile. So there's things again like that that we can do, and then there's potential for Nubco-type businesses in regional Australia as well. Sorry, off-call vendor. It basically bends bits of Rio into a certain shape that uh, <laughs> the engineers specify for a building. Right. Now I know. Okay. So moving on, the obvious question coming to the back end of 2020 is uh, what impact did COVID-19 have on the business? Yeah. So COVID went through stages for us. Initially in February, March, we thought we had a supply chain issue coming out of China that very quickly morphed into a much bigger problem here in Australia and New Zealand. Very suddenly, the lockdown and closure of our entire New Zealand operations for a month, uh, which, is, which hurt us, it was one of our more profitable businesses. We've then had since then bits and pieces of lockdowns in Melbourne and South Australia and things like that. But we've had time now to, I guess, do all of our contingency planning and prepare for what we think is coming at us. From May on, the business has done very well. Our markets have been performing. 
we accelerated some work around fixing some things in the Connect Australia business. We can't travel. We haven't been using motor vehicles as much, so there's been some cost savings for us. So May through November, the business has performed very well. And we, we, we just think that that vindicates the strategy that we've had the whole time that that's happening. We've got very, very good people from the leadership team and the board down. And so far, our markets perform okay. And to your earlier point, infrastructure should fill up any holes that come in commercial construction or other areas as we move forward. Interestingly, right now, we've turned full circle and the key thing we're worrying about is supply chain issues again. So that's where we're a little bit challenged, but we can work through that. So on that issue of, of uh, supply chain, you obviously import a lot of products from overseas. How does the, how does the currency affect the company's earnings? Yeah, so currency does have a, a fair impact on us. Um, if you remember pre-COVID, the Australian dollar had been devaluing against the US dollar and that impacts on our margins. At the start of COVID, it dumped quite severely and we were fortunate enough to have enough stock not to need to buy currency during that period. Since then, the AU dollar has been strengthening, which helps us again. So from a profitability perspective, it's better for us as the, as the dollar comes up. There's always swings and roundabouts because at the same time at the moment, iron ore's going up, which means steel prices are going up. So that's partially offsetting the gains that we're getting there. But at the moment, it's a positive thing for us in a time where we didn't really need another variable going the wrong way that we can't control. So we've, let's say we get through 2020, we're pushing into 2021, company looks good. What are the next steps then for the business to continue to capture as much profitable growth as possible? Well, it's really still is about us delivering on the existing strategy. We, we're doing a refresh of that at the moment, but largely it will stay as it is. It's continuing to focus on making sure we've got the, the best value proposition in the market so that we get the organic growth. And that really is about quality products, high stock availability, having expertise in the business to help our customers, very, very agile service because the markets we operate in a lot of the time aren't well organised and need us to react quickly when they need product or assistance and our geographical coverage. So that's sort of the organic side of it. And we think well, the, the proof's there that that's been working over the last four years. There's no reason why it shouldn't continue to do that. The second part is sensible acquisitions. We have a quite tight policy or criteria around how we do that based on lessons learned in the past in other organisations at Bunzel where they didn't always go right. So at the moment, we're only looking at profitable businesses, well run, we like the owners or managers in those businesses to come across and stay with us. We hang on to all the people and, you know, doing that, they add accretive growth and profit to the business day one. That's what we're looking for. So really the strategy stays the same. It's all sort of paused a bit during COVID. We're ready to start accelerating that again at the moment. Excellent. All right, so looking into the numbers themselves, you managed to increase your earnings from financial year 2017 where the company earned a loss of 9.7 million. That was off sales of $150 million. 
You've pushed that to an EBITDA profit of $6.6 million in financial year 2020 from sales of about $247 million. So based on my numbers, and just for everyone listening, these are my numbers, not the company's numbers. I reckon Coventry is trading on an EBITDA multiple of about eight times as we speak, at whatever it is, 91 cents or so. That suggests the market's saying you are a low-growth stock. Having an EBITDA multiple of eight times, generally the market's suggesting that there's a limited growth potential, therefore you need to be trading cheaply because the growth isn't around. But if I'm right, your EBITDA will have grown by about 100% per annum on average since 2017, which is 52% initially, then 160%, then 136%, and then 52%. So do you have any idea as to why the market has ignored the glaring undervaluation of the business, or am I just simply wrong? The short answer is no, we don't understand the market and why they're pricing us as they are at the moment. Look, our focus is and will remain to be on the operations of the business, development of and implementation of the strategy and ensuring that the business is delivering long-term sustainable profitable growth. We think ultimately, as we just continue to deliver positive results and numbers, the share market will, will catch up and rate us uh, better in the future. Okay, fair enough. When you look at the actual shareholdings within the business, it seems Coventry is very much at the mercy to an incredibly tight register. By my estimates, you've got about 70 to 80% of the shares uh, being tightly held. This has pretty much resulted in what seems to be rather dramatic volatility in the share price because there's very few buyers and there's very few sellers. So do you have any specific strategies to increase the potential market interest in the shares? and also narrow the gap between what I believe to be your true value and the current share price? So I think it really comes back to the same response as the last question. What, what I would do is give an example, you know, a business like Reese who had a huge holding by the previous owners of that business, 75%. Uh, the market still saw that as a growth stock and supported it. You know, again, we, we, our job is to focus on the operations, making sure we deliver the strategy and returning, you know, long-term sustainable profitable growth. Our view, again, is that it's only a matter of time before the market gets confidence in a business that was in a lot of trouble four years ago and gains that confidence in the board and the leadership team that we've got the capability and the ability to sustain what we've done so far. Actually, you, re- you raise a really um, relevant comparison with Reese there because they're still pretty tightly held, though, aren't they? Doesn't the family, the Wilson family, own, what, 70%, 60% now? Yes, they do. That's correct. And they've got a market cap of, what, 12 or 13 bill or something like that? I, I couldn't tell you, but it's it's big. It's, big it's bigger, than, bigger than Coventry. Okay. Yeah. All right. So two weeks ago, you reported to the market further growth in group sales, rising another 9.4% to the uh, to the five months of the financial year 2021. In other words, from 1st of July to the end of November. What can investors expect from Coventry over coming years? I know we sort of touched on this area. I'm trying to flesh out what sort of growth you would expect to achieve over, over the next short while. Yeah, look, we're, we're cautiously optimistic about the future at the moment. We think, you know, we've ridden the worst of the COVID-19 situation, although we do look 
you know, globally at what's going on with some, some concern. We probably think we've overperformed compared to what we thought in the last six months with that sales growth. But look, we've got a, a good book of orders coming up. Uh, some of the stuff that in the mining resources sector has been deferred, but we expect will come to us at a, at a later date. So look, we're still cautiously optimistic about the growth opportunities. We've added HOS hose in, which gives us um, another $11 million of revenue. And we're, we're looking at other acquisition opportunities as well. So look, there's still a positive outlook from our perspective for growth moving forward. You've somewhat answered the question, but, but to, to, to simplify it as best as possible from an investor's perspective, why should someone own Coventry? I think my answer to that is if they look at the history, we've transformed a business from 150 million turnover, losing a lot of money on the edge of its own survival, to a business today that's probably circa 275 million making profits. Along the way, we've got through that financial distress. We survived a cyber attack. We've survived COVID and continued to grow profit profitably the whole way through. So I think just our results and record to date should give investors some confidence about our ability to continue to perform in the future. Robert Bullis, thank you very much for your time. Thanks, Ben. It's been a pleasure. Thank you to everyone for listening. Thank you for listening to the interview. If you have any queries about this discussion or you require any other information, please either call us on 9268 Shoot us an email or jump onto our website at www.morrisseygroup.net. Have a great day. The Morrissey Group is a corporate authorised representative of Shore and Partners Limited, ABN 24003-221583. Our financial services guide is viewable at www.shoreandpartners.com.au. Any content within this podcast is subject to the terms and conditions of Shore and Partners Limited's disclaimer, as viewable at www.shoreandpartners.com.au forward slash disclaimer.